0: What's up, Chicago? I'm Erin Allen, and this is The Rundown. Heads up, this episode discusses domestic abuse, the loss of loved ones, and personal hardships. It's been nearly a year since asylum seekers started arriving in Chicago, over 10,000 since August. And they've been staying at migrant shelters, homeless shelters, police stations, in tents outside, anywhere they can. Last week, a group of WBEZ reporters went to see how some of these migrants are doing.
1: We wanted to learn what life was like on the ground for both asylum seekers who are staying in tents and in police stations, as well as the volunteers and local Chicagoans who are helping fill the gaps that the city hasn't been able to fill.
0: That's WBEZ city government reporter Mariah Wolfel. She and my colleagues Kristen Schorsch, Tessa Weinberg, Claudia Morrell, and Manuel Martinez spread out around the near west side, and in particular, the 12th District Police Station. Mariah says it's one of the most bustling stations housing immigrants
1: in Chicago. People have set up tents because they prefer to stay in tents as opposed to in city-run shelters or police stations. They feel safer. And so we really just wanted to kind of fan out within that community to see how asylum seekers are feeling and what they have to say about this process and how the city has or hasn't supported them.
0: Mariah and Kristen, who reports on health and county government, join me to talk about what they saw, how people are helping, and how the system feels like it's held together with band aids. Kristen starts with a rundown of her day.
2: So I spent the day with people who work for and volunteer for New Life Centers, which is a nonprofit um, in Little Village. And so I I started my day going with um, one of the staffers, Janet Sandoval. Riding in a 13-seater van, this really big van, to the 9th and the 8th district police stations. Essentially, the goal for her was to pick migrants up and bring them back to showers that were set up by a different nonprofit right outside New Life on 27th Street. Um, She gets out, she calls to them and says, hey, who'd like a shower? She said they know her. She usually brings food, but she didn't have any that day.
1: I'm asking who wants a uh, shower.
2: A lot of the migrants were sitting on um, a curb in the shade. It was a really hot day, the day that we all fanned out together in different parts of in and around the 12th District Police Station. And yeah, all their belongings are out in front of the station as well. And then a few people come along, we do the same thing and go to the eighth mm. district police station. Um and, you know, we talk to some migrants who are sitting in the van. I'm asking them what their journey's like. She's translating for me. And, you know, it's interesting. I had asked her as as we were heading to these stations, I said, How much are you, are you getting the stories of migrants and talking to them? And she was saying that she's normally so busy that she doesn't really have time to kind of sit. And really and, and kind of talk and really absorb. Yeah. But when I was asking her to translate for me and hearing the stories of like two gentlemen who were sitting right behind her coming from Venezuela, you know, she was saying like these details were hard for her to relate to me. Mm. Like they were talking about seeing people who were dead in the jungle on the ground. Both had left children behind. It was, it was they had very traumatic experiences. And Janet Um, is an immigrant herself, right? Yeah, she told me she came from Mexico when she was about five years old. You know, she said she didn't have um, an arduous journey like the stories that she was relaying to me from the two gentlemen who had come from Venezuela behind us. Mm -hmm. She was only supposed to be doing this work for a couple months. Is that right? Yes, so Janet was working for UPS in a warehouse in the suburbs. And she decided to quit her job to come and work at New Life. She said that she was very driven by her faith, that this was God's plan for her. Mm. And she thought that this job with New Life was only going to be two months. And it's interesting, right? I mean, I asked her, I said, so you're quitting a job for another job that could only be, you know, for a very short time. And she said yes.
1: I was praying for a, a job like this to help the migrants. To I want people to see God in my face, you know, that I can reflect his love for them.
2: I want people to see God in my face. Mm. So Janet spends her days driving to and from police stations, picking up migrants to bring them back to take showers in this mobile shower station set up out in front of New Life. Um, She drops off meals. She helps uh, in the basement of New Life, whatever, whatever they need, right? Setting up hot meals for migrants. Really just being... Part of the fabric of people who are working or helping, volunteering their time, um, to help all these people who are coming to Chicago. Yeah.
1: I could speak for Tessa Weinberg and Claudia Morel, who both helped us report this story, and as well as Manuel Martinez, who took the photos for it. But Tessa kind of centered herself around the tent community that I okay. was talking about. Mm-hmm. And saw, you know, many, many children, many families um, who have set up these tents to live in, um, children playing with toy cars, with a a rubber ball, um, asylum seekers kind of like tidying their tents. One guy she spoke to, Alex Rossi, was sweeping the tent as he was talking about how, you know, all, all he does is, like, get up every day at 5 a.m. to start looking for work. Um, and then inside the police station, Claudia Morrell describes um, a really kind of quiet scene. Oh, yeah, much better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so you were saying, you know, stacks of blankets or bags of belongings. And every day, asylum seekers have to kind of pack up all their stuff and leave the police station so that the police station can be cleaned mm-hmm. at night when it's time to go back to sleep is when they have to, you know, then unpack all of their belongings and get a night's rest to do the same thing the next day.
0: Yeah, Mariah, I, I would love to hear about your particular angle um, with this story. Let's talk about the woman you focused on who was seeking asylum. Who is she and how did you meet her?
1: Sure. So I spent the day at Instituto del Progreso Latino, which is an organization that does so much. They do drop-offs of supplies to police stations. They also do a legal aid clinic on Fridays where they try to link people with people who can help them through the asylum seeker process. They have caseworkers who help people get signed up for benefits like health care or, you know, food assistance. And so I spent the day there. And while I was there, I shadowed an asylum seeker named Joanna. She was bused here from Texas in October with her three kids, and she's a single mother. She comes from Venezuela and Colombia, where she said she had a really hard childhood. She was abused by her father and started working at nine years old so that she could support herself and, you know, leave her home and then... Was mistreated by the father of her kids, who she says he was a drinker, and she's just kind of like struggled her whole life to make ends meet. Um, And so decided to come to the US, had a years long journey to get here, very difficult through the jungle. Um, But then says, like, since she's been here in October, she's gotten so much help, um, and that being here has changed her for the better. she says it hasn't changed her completely, but it's changed her a lot. She has a house that she lives in on the southwest side of the city with Um, Mm -hmm. rental assistance. And she also lives with another asylum seeker, single mother. And they kind of work as a family unit to support one another and each other's kids. And Joanna has also found a job at a factory. And so she has found a lot of the stability that people who we were talking with who are staying at police stations are kind of longing for. But she also has a long way to go to apply for asylum that could be, you know, a five year long process.
0: Getting into her asylum case, you spoke with the attorney also who's representing her. What did she tell you?
1: So Alexis Aranda Zalasco, she kind of told me how difficult it is, you know, working with asylum seekers. On one hand, it's energizing. You know, she feels like she can help people prepare the best case. Mm-hmm. But she also said that it's very difficult because she just wants to look people in the eye and promise them what they want to hear, which is that, you know, I she says, I, I, I want to say I promise that you're going to be living in this country legally within a year. You're going to be able to work. But she says, you know, she just can't say that to people. All she can say is like, I'm going to be your advocate and I'm going to present the best case that I can and we're going to do it in a way that's respectful to you. And so, um, yeah, that's a little bit about what motivates her and also the difficulties of the job.
0: Yeah. Uh, Our colleague, Claudia Morrell, ended up talking to an alderman. Um, Can you speak to who she spoke to and what they said?
1: Claudia spent the day with Alderman Byron Sigcho Lopez. He is the 25th Ward Alderman and he's a Democratic Socialist. And he spoke about how he's very hopeful for the new mayoral administration to really take a long term strategic approach to work with this problem at the local level, but he also focused a lot on what he called the federal government's, you know, failure to act. Um, He talked about how it's not time to be playing politics with people's lives and also that police stations aren't, you know, fit spaces for families Mm. to be living. You know, he talks about how there's a newborn and how there's people with mental health needs. And at the same time, you know, police stations are dealing with different populations as well because they are buildings that are open 24 hours where people can walk in and so yeah um he talks about how that's inappropriate and he wants to see he and many aldermen you know i i think there is consensus that no one wants people staying in lobbies of police stations and so he's kind of hopeful that this new administration will now be able to move out of emergency mode and into like A longer term strategy, which is Mayor Brandon Johnson's approach that, you know, they want to open big congregate shelters that the city owns. But it's not an easy task because there are, you know, 900 asylum seekers staying in police stations right now awaiting shelter. So you can't just like immediately move those people out because every one of those 900 people are a a person you know, with yeah. needs and and things. <laughs> and so you can't, you know. Yeah. But that's um, kind of what Byron Sichel Lopez said.
0: Mariah, safety has been a big concern on multiple fronts, as, as you've already talked about, with housing migrants at police stations, especially in light of these allegations of sexual misconduct by Chicago police officers. Um, first off, can you give an update on where things stand with that investigation?
1: Yeah, so just this week we heard from the Civilian Office of Police Accountability that Chicago's Police Oversight Agency, they look into police misconduct, and that agency said they were not able to identify or have not so far been able to identify the alleged victim at the center of that investigation. Um and they also said that in the meantime as it continues, they are not recommending stripping the accused officer of their police powers while they're investigating. Meanwhile, the agency said they have learned of another allegation um, about at least one Northside police officer and that cop allegedly engaged in sexual misconduct with a migrant. And so this is an ongoing story. Mm. The update this week, I mean, in my mind, is, is basically like there's no new information. Um, But, you know, we we have to see because um, not being able to identify a victim doesn't mean that there isn't one. Um, And so I think that that investigation just continues.
0: Yeah. Um, Kristen, I know that um, you had talked to someone about how they feel these allegations are affecting some of the asylum seekers. Can you talk about that?
2: Yeah. So when I was at New Life, I mean, this came up, I will say, this came up in all of the reporting that we did on this one day when we were fanning out. I mean, this had just become public the Friday before. So a few days before we were out, Mm. you know, talking to community. Um, I talked about this with Sonia Lopez, who is an employee at New Life. And I, I asked her what, you know, what she thought about these allegations and how it affected What she does every day, which is, you know, to to help migrants who are coming, um, to help put clothes out and food out and really kind of be a guide. Right. And she was telling me that she was worried that this could potentially erode trust.
1: And I almost feel like
0: the situation with the police officer almost tarnished what we do.
2: You know, if you have allegations against a police officer and you have so many migrants staying in police stations, would that reflect poorly on everybody else who was helping? She was really concerned about the trust factor. Yeah. Um, Chicago
0: is known as a, quote unquote, sanctuary city um, for migrants and and asylum seekers. But now that y'all have spent this time reporting on all the moving parts and actual people, I'm wondering how you're thinking about that term sanctuary city. Um, Kristen, why don't you start? That's a
2: really interesting question. (laughs) I mean... I think what this story really reflected in what we tried to do was pick one piece of the city where we could really capture how people, how everyday Chicagoans were helping in the middle of, you know, what many are calling a crisis. And I think that that really helped us understand what's at stake for the entire city. We don't really see an end in sight. We see the government trying, but not having enough resources. So we're talking to people who are really filling in that void. So, I mean, when you think of sanctuary, it's not just the government. It's also all these people who are filling in the gaps. Any yeah. reflections,
1: Maria? Yeah, I think insofar as Chicago is a sanctuary city, it's it's a sanctuary city because of the people who are stepping up to help asylum seekers. I think Chicago City government is a sanctuary city in some ways. You know, police officers are not supposed to or allowed to cooperate with immigration enforcement, for instance. And that is really like a main tenant of Chicago's sanctuary city status. But I think the city through this process is learning how to become a real sanctuary city and has a long way to go because mm. I think there are many people who would say, you know, you can't call yourself a sanctuary city when people are sleeping on police station floors and we don't have enough affordable housing for even the residents within our city. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's a mixed bag. I I think that um, there are so many amazing people stepping up. um, But at the same time, you know, there's a lot of dark pieces. The allegations we talked about, just families, mothers who have had, you know, miscarriages on their journey here who are now sleeping on police station floors who we heard about at the 12th District. And so, uh, yeah, I I think there's a long way to go, too.
2: You know, I think, if anything, spending I realize it was only one day, but even just spending a day in this world it was very hopeful. I mean, there are so many people that we talk to, whether they're getting paid to do this job or they're volunteering their time, mm-hmm. who are doing this every single day to help community. And, you know, one of the migrants who I talked to, I said, did you expect to see this? Did you expect to come to Chicago and someone's going to pick you up in a van and take you to get a shower and provide a giant duffel bag of clothes that you pick out and all these meals? And he said, no. It's mm. like I thought maybe maybe I'd meet somebody along the route, like I did through the journey to get here from Venezuela, but he, he did not expect this amount of support. And I think that reflects on Chicago, right? Like these everyday people who are who are stepping up and filling in that void that's a giant void that Mariah is explaining.
0: Kristen Schorsch and Mariah Wolfel are reporters here at WBEZ. Mariah, Kristen, thank you for joining. Thanks for having us. Thank you. You can find the full story on WBEZ.org. It's called A Day with Chicago Migrants Sleeping in Tents, Hoping for Progress. And reporting on this story came from Mariah and Kristen, as well as Tessa Weinberg, Claudia Morrell, Manuel Martinez and also Araceli Gomez-Aldana. And that's it for today. Thank you to Justin Bull and Sarah Stark for producing The Rundown and to Ariel Van Clee for editing the show. Haley Bloomquist was the engineer for this episode and our theme music is by Louis Weeks. The Rundown is produced by WBEZ Chicago and is a part of the NPR Network. And we love hearing from you. Email us with your thoughts, questions, and what you want to hear on the show. You can email Pod at wbez.org. I'm Erin Allen. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow.